Let's read the word this morning, Mark chapter 11, beginning with verse 1. It says this, When Jesus and his followers approached Jerusalem, they came to Bethage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives. Jesus gave two disciples a task, saying to them, Go into the village over there. As soon as you enter it, you will find tied up there a colt that no one has ridden. Untie it and, and <clears throat> excuse me, untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, Its master needs it, and he will send it back right away. They went and found a colt tied to a gate outside on the street, and they untied it. Some people standing around said to them, What are you doing untying this colt? They told them just what Jesus said, and they left them alone. They brought the colt to, to Jesus and threw their clothes or their cloaks upon it, and he sat on it. Many people spread out their clothes or their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches from the fields. Those in front of him and those following were shouting, Hosanna! Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. After he looked around at everything, because it was already late in the evening, he returned to Bethany with the twelve. And if you'll look down at verse 15 with me through 19. They came into Jerusalem... After entering the temple, he threw out those who were selling and buying there. He pushed over the tables used for currency exchange and the chairs of those who sold the doves. He didn't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He taught them, hasn't it been written that my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you've turned it into a hideout for crooks. The chief priests and the legal experts heard this and tried to find a way to destroy him. They regarded him as dangerous because the whole crowd was enthralled at his teaching. When it was evening, Jesus and his disciples went outside of the city. This is the word of the Lord this morning. And the congregation said, you may be seated. I'd like to greet those that... Uh, they're participating with us this morning on uh, social media, via live stream. Those that are also in the coffee house this morning, we just like to say welcome. We're glad that you are here. Those that are listening via podcast, um, we'd like to say welcome to Gateway, your church family. And so this morning, I would ask for the next uh, few moments that you would just allow me to share this word with you and to unpack it for you. Maybe there's some things that, uh, that you've heard in the past. Uh, maybe there would be some things that, uh, that you haven't heard before for your consideration. You've heard me say this uh, on many occasions, and you'll continue to hear me say this throughout this uh, series. But there are many stories in the, in the book of Mark, uh, but there is only one message. And that is that the kingdom of God is at hand. Chuck Swindoll says that for months, storm clouds had been gathering over Jerusalem. Jesus focused his attention 
on Galilee during the early part of his ministry. He regularly traveled to the holy city in Judea to celebrate the more than half a dozen Jewish feasts throughout the year. And each visit intensified the growing tension between Jesus and the religious establishment. The Sadducees, they, they were there and they controlled the temple. And the Pharisees, they, 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 they were upset because they had a grip on the people, or so they thought. The disciples had, had to have seen and had, had to have really had noticed on the various trips, on the, the occasions of, of going to celebrate the, the festivities with Jesus, they had to be getting a pretty good sense that things were, the tension was rising, that things were getting pretty heated. Because when Jesus announced that he was going to go to Bethany to visit Mary and Martha, because word had come to him that their brother Lazarus, one of Jesus' very dear friends, had died, one of the disciples shared as Jesus made this announcement that they were going in John chapter 11, verse 16, Thomas says, let us go then, let us go too with the master so that we might die with him. When Jesus did go and visit the sisters and eventually, and maybe some of us know this story, but, but raised Lazarus from the dead, his popularity grew all the more with the people and the Pharisees saw him now as even a bigger threat. In your worship folder this morning, in that simplified outline, the, the, the first thing there says that the, the entry of Jesus. Jericho is the lowest city on earth, over 800 feet below sea level. Jerusalem, which is only a dozen or so miles away, is 3,000 feet above sea level. The journey up to the mountain, to, to the holy city, would have been filled with anticipation and great joy. N.T. Wright says, and I quote, they were coming to a place where the living God had chosen to place his name and his very presence. The place where though the regular daily sacrifices, through regular daily sacrifices, he being God assured Israel of forgiveness, of fellowship with him, of a hope for the future. And if you were ever in seminary, they would say that this was a trustworthy statement that when God made covenant that he held true to his word. In addition, it was time of the Passover. Passover is freedom time. It's a time of celebration. It's the time when Jewish people remembered God's original deliverance of their nation from slavery. It is their independence day, if you will. Only they do not have their freedom. Passover became a time of hope, a time of dreaming of God's act of deliverance. They were still waiting for that. They were waiting for the Messiah to come and to make that happen. In verse 8 of our selected text, it tells us that Jesus and the disciples, they got closer to the city. And it tells us that, that many people in, in a great act they took off their cloaks or, or their clothes, uh, their outer garments, and they laid them on the ground. This is not a sign not only of just respect, but it's also to acknowledge royalty. They didn't do that for just anybody. 
So you can kind of see what is starting to develop here. There is a lot of tension. There is a, a, a lot of plotting taking place behind the scenes. There are those that literally, the text tell us, want to destroy Jesus. I believe that Jesus being God knew what was on the other end. He knew what was going to be as he walked into that city, what was going to come to him, what was going to come at him. And now he is seeing people throwing cloaks on the ground, showing him so much respect and treating him like royalty. As I was reading through the text this last week, I realized that scholarship tells us that that just 200 years prior, Judas Maccabees defeated the Syrian army and, and King Antioch then entered Jerusalem and cleansed and rebuilt the temple. And on that day, people waved palm branches. They sang hymns of praise. Judas started a a royal dynasty that that lasted for a hundred years. So people were doing, they were celebrating in ways that they had seen great conquests and conquerors as they would come into the city. But look at verse 8 through 9 of our selected text here this morning. Many people spread out their clothes or their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches cut from the fields. Those in front of him and those who were following were shouting, Hosanna, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. It is clear that the disciples and and the crowds that were following Jesus, following him through Galilee, are now following him through Jerusalem. So the closer he gets, the more that the multitudes gather there is no doubt that, 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 that they saw him as the new king. The one that was going to take on Rome. The one that was going to bring hope and to, to be God's act of deliverance. But it was coming more from a political, more from a conquest perspective. And if you're taking notes this morning, you might want to just jot this down. But Jesus knew their motives the entire time. We've talked and we've established in our studies that nothing catches him by surprise. He knew their motives. And can I just say, church, oftentimes when when we break and we become broken, when we choose sin, when we separate out, when we break covenant from God. He knows that we were going to do it, but he still loves us anyway, and he still is willing to be a part of our lives. There would have been people from everywhere. Uh, just let this be a snapshot in your mind. But, but it was the time of Passover. And many thousands of people would have been on pilgrimage to the city. It is possible. Some scholarships say it is, it is possible that there were nearly half of a million people. That were coming from all over pilgrimages. From all over the world. This was a big affair. In the second chapter of Acts, beginning with verse 5, we can see in verses, uh, excuse me, verse 5, we can see where where it, it establishes the many groups to whom would come for such festivities. It talks about the Pentecost. It says there, there were pious Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. Parthenians, the Medes, the the Alamites, as well as those from Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Porches, and Asia, 
And it goes on and on. Those from Egypt and, and regions of Libya, bordering Cyrene, and, and, and visitors from Rome, the Cretans and, and the Arabs. It went on and on. There was a, a massive amount of people that were gathering, assimilating together, and they're coming and they're seeing Jesus enter into the city. Another point in your outline this morning tells that those that were gathering together, they were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, a prayer that, that God will save and redeem His people, but understand that that is a blending of praise, but it is also a blending of expectancy. The people are saying and shouting, you are the royal one, you are the Messiah, you are the king, you are the one that's going to take Rome down, but we're expecting you to do it immediately. Have you ever placed an agenda on God? Lord, in the next five minutes, if you reveal yourself, you just got me for the rest of my life. Have we ever been there before? Have we ever done that? Look at, look at verse 9. Those in front of him and those following were, were chanting and shouting, Hosanna, blessing on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessings on the coming kingdom, our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest. Hosanna is a, is a transliteration of, of the Greek word, which itself is a transliteration of the Hebrew word, Hosi ha ha na. I probably did not do that justice. But that very word is the blend of a prayer where it simply says, Oh, save us now with a praise, hallelujah, a welcome to pilgrims or, or famous rabbis. But this chant that the crowd was, was sharing that particular afternoon as Jesus was making his way in the city is a direct chant from Psalm 118, verses 25 through 26. And this is what they were proclaiming. Lord, please save us. Lord, please let us succeed. The one who enters in the Lord's name is blessed. We bless all of you from the Lord's house. A prayer is about going up to Jerusalem to, to enter into the temple. In the middle phrase, the middle portion of that praise song, the chant, the people have inserted this very dangerous prayer. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor, David. This pronouncement, blessed, calls for God to be more gracious with his power to attend to someone or to effect something. The people had ideas on, on how things should go. We've seen this before, haven't we? When, when the people, the, the Israelites, they, they come to Samuel... Samuel, Hannah's son, and they asked him to appoint a king over them. They wanted to be like everyone else in, in all of the surrounding countries. They, they wanted to be like every nation. And in 1 Samuel 8, 5, we see this where it says, Now appoint a king for us to, to judge us like all of the nations. We want to be like everyone else. But this thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel. When they said, give us a king to judge us. And then we see this conversation between Samuel and God play out. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being their very king. From me being 
the king over them. Look at verse 10 here this morning. Blessing on the coming kingdom, our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest. People had hope for the the restoration of the Davidic kingdom. But their excitement and their celebration was for one to be a ruling Messiah over a political kingdom. They don't recognize, they didn't recognize that, that that the one that was on the unbroken cult was the Messiah. The one that said that the prophets claimed would come that he would come so that he could give his life so that all mankind could have his life. We saw that as we looked three weeks ago as we went back into the time of creation when the serpent, when when the evil one, the enemy, was able to convince mankind to give up all of the goodness that God had afforded them, the walks of daily in the garden with God himself, to give all of that up so that they could have their own agenda so that they could think like God or so that they could even be better than God. And now we see this again where the people are continually in their brokenness, are coming up with their own demands, their own desires, and they're playing it out. They're worshiping the one who is coming into the city, but they're worshiping him for the wrong reasons. Zephaniah, excuse me, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says this, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Sing aloud, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your king will come to you. He is the righteous and victorious one. He will come as a humble servant, and he will be riding a colt, the offspring of a donkey. When Jesus entered in the city, into the city that day, we see this in the gospel, other gospel accounts. It says that Jesus wept as he was coming into the city. He wept because people had no idea of the significance of what was going on that day and why he had come. National acceptance of him that day would would bring them peace, but they had not a clue of what was in their future. Luke 19, verse 44, in the message translation says this, when the city came into view, Jesus wept over it, If you had only had recognized this day and everything that was good for you. The same text in in, in the common English Bible translation said, They will crush you completely, you and the people within you. They won't leave one stone on top of another within you because you didn't recognize the time of your gracious visit, the gracious visit from God. In A.D. 70, the city would be completely restored, excuse me, destroyed by the Roman soldiers. Historian, theologian, Dr. Scott Daniels says, and I quote, like the idea of kingship, there is a subtle question about inherent goodness of the temple, and on the other hand, the temple is a sign of the centrality of God's presence in the nation. But on the other hand, it is like a a permanent or securing of God's presence. He adds in the Old Testament, God seems to to prefer the, the mobility of the tabernacle over the permanent resting place of the temple. It was clear from the beginning in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27, that it could never be, in fact, to be full and, and the final dwelling place of God. In your notes this morning, the last little point there. It says this, the ambiguity of the temple. 
Jesus is making his way into the city. He's wept over the city. People are praising him. Hosanna the king. Now he comes, the text tells us that he's come. Now he's come into the temple. And even though God promised to bless Israel through the temple, but it is, it, it's, it's something that, that we need to be aware of this morning. But the people took the temple for granted. They took for granted the things that, that God had intended to be good for themselves. And this is where we see that the temple itself, as Jesus is making his way into the city, as he goes into the temple, we see that the temple itself will be judged by God. And please note, when Jesus shows up to the temple, he never had in mind to use it as a place of power. It was sacred to him. It was God's house. Look at Mark chapter 11, verse 15 through 17. They came into Jerusalem, and after entering the temple, he threw out those who were selling and, and buying there. He pushed over the tables of used currency and exchange and the chairs of those who sold the doves. He didn't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He taught them, hasn't it been written that my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you've turned it into a hideout for crooks. Some translations say that you've made it into a den of robbers. The word robber was used by Josephus, a, a Jewish priest and historian who, who wrote extensively on the Jewish revolt of, of 65 through 70 AD. Robber does not mean thief in the regular sense. It's more like the meaning of a, a revolutionary or radical nationalist. So there was all kinds of things that Jesus, and I hope that you're still on the same page this morning, but Jesus is witnessing all kinds of people gathering, all kinds of people cheering for him, but he sees all of the underlying political, all the underlying agenda. And then he walks into the temple, the very house of God, and it's as troubling to him because the very temple is to be a place where people see that as sacred. It is to be a place where people come and they're able to worship God. It's a place where they come and they bring their sacrifices to God. They make men's with God and people are abusing the temple. God's house. Dr. Scott Daniels says the judgment of Jesus upon the temple was that they were using God's instrument of inclusive light as a symbol of exclusion. Again, that whole press down. They were using the temple as far as they were taking advantage of people, the pilgrims that were coming from all of the nations, taking advantage of them. They were excluding them. They, they were positioning themselves. They were, they were ex lifting them up in means of power and national welfare. And Jesus says, I'm not going to have anything to do with that in my Father's house. We too are like God's temple. We too, our bodies, the, the very creation that God has given us, we are the temple of God, this beautiful creation of God. And scriptures tell us, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? And I would just ask you this morning as a little bit of a life application, but how are you treating God's temple? How are you treating the life that, that he has given you? How are you taking the, the ruach, the very breath of God that he's breathed into your lungs? What are you doing with your life for God here today. Are you about the kingdom purposes? Because I look and I can see 
as I'm looking at this text, that it's so easy to, to get caught up in, in, in the way of culture. That it's so easy to get caught up where people can, can press us in, they can mold us, they can shape us to be, as long as we can get along with the crowd, as long as we don't make anybody feel uneasy, then, then, then things are right, right? No, they're not. And the church has been called to, to rise up. The church has been called to feel like, to be the sword of the Spirit, not let culture shape us, but where we go into the world and we make Christ known to those that are taking residence in the world in which we live. And I think sometimes it's easy for the church just to sit back and just say the church, as far as congregants and, and as far as assembly, uh, that, that we're just here to, to, to see what, what we like or what we don't like, or if the pastor wears the wrong colored shirt, then, then I'm not going to come back anymore, or, or somebody took my parking space. I just want to say those things are so futile. And the Lord has come into his house, and he says, my house is a house of prayer. And I'm not going to deal with any of this stuff. People are not going to take advantage. They're not going to take advantage of my father's house. Dallas Willard says, and I quote, Jesus did not send his students out to start governments or, or even churches as we know them today. They were instead to establish beachheads of his person, word and power in the midst of a failing and futile humanity. Caiaphas was the Jewish high priest who organized the, the plot to see Jesus. And we'll, we'll, we'll see that in a number of months as we get closer to Passion Week. He was the one that presided over the Sanhedrin trial of Jesus. We will see where he mocked Jesus. We'll see where he says, can't you speak for yourself, Jesus? And Jesus stood there in all the mockery and didn't speak one word to defend himself. Caiaphas is the one who authorized a market to take place within the temple. He authorized items for sale to all the pilgrims that traveled to the city for that particular occasion so that they could purchase uh, ritually pure items for, for temple sacrifice. Items like wine and, and oil and, and salt and approved sacrificial lambs and birds. Caiaphas wanted to get a cut, if you will, in the marketplace. This authorization from Caiaphas helped to circulate imperial monies from Rome. And we talked a, a number of weeks ago where, where we looked at the example of Solomon. Do not intermarry. Do not intermarry because then you will be accepting in as part of your family those that will bring idols in, those that will bring idol worship. And now we see Caiaphas has authorized a marketplace within the temple and currency is being exchanged, currency with people's faces on them. You could just see where the whole idol worship was taking place in the midst of God's house. No wonder he was angry. And he was going and as this money was being exchanged, we see that monies from Rome, a providential Grecian money, and local monies from the Jews, the money changers provided the required Tyrian, if you will, Jewish coinage for the annual half-shekel tax, a tax of, uh, that was required of male Jews 20 years of age and up. This whole exchange of Roman and Greece currency, it, 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 it was something that, that, that actually lent itself to transactions and transactions that were extortion and fraud. People came 
to come to the temple. People came to do sacrifice. They came with good intention. They came to honor and glorify God. And somebody was taking advantage of that. Jesus was just broken from what he seen. Jesus was outraged by what he saw. Look at verse 15 through 17. They came into Jerusalem and after entering the temple, he threw out those who were selling and buying there. He pushed over the tables used for currency exchange and the chairs of those who sold the doves. He didn't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. He taught them, hasn't it been written that my house will be called a house of prayer? A prayer for all nations, but you've turned it into a hideout for crooks. No doubt, people, Jesus got people's attention. He quotes Isaiah 56, 7 verbatim when he says, My house will be known as a house of prayer for all peoples, says the Lord. Those who gather Israel's outcasts. God has always desired, church. He's always desired for both Jews and Gentiles to come together, to worship together in this place called worship. And I just want to say that we always need to be in check as a people. As a church, where we want to be a house of prayer, we want to be a place of sanctuary, a place of solace where people can come and they can help to get their lives on track, if you will. Oh, we're all broken. We're all a mess. Anybody want to say amen to that? You better all say amen because then you'll just kind of, if you don't say something, Peter's going to look at you a little bit weird. This is a place where no perfect people are allowed, Amen. Jeremiah 7, 11, do, do you regard this temple which bears my name as a hiding place for criminals? I can see what's going on here, declares the Lord. Jesus' actions that day declared that, that he, the Messiah, claimed greater authority over the temple than that of the high priest. Caiaphas, you've set up the marketplace, but you know what? I'm calling your bluff. I'm calling what you're doing right now. It's wrong. It's not of God. And so therefore, I'm going to destroy your efforts. I'm going to take it out. It is done. My, my father's house is a place of prayer. Can you imagine what he just did? And when I was going through my notes this week, I just sat back at one point and I just said, Lord, you went through all of this for me. You did all of this for me. You took on the broken establishment. You did it all for me. You knew what this would mean. This, this meant that there was a bounty on your head. This meant that, that your life would be exhausted. Why? Also that I could have an opportunity to accept what you have done for me on the cross so that I could live with you for all of eternity. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And by that, Father God, how can I or how should I continually with me being a very temple of you, Father God, how should I live out my life in appreciation for what you have done here this afternoon? Malachi 3 1 through 5, look, I'm sending my messenger who will clear a path for me. Suddenly the Lord whom you are seeking will come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you take delight is coming, says the Lord of heavenly forces. Who can endure this day of his coming? Who can withstand his appearance? He's like the refiner's fire or the, the cleaner's soap. He, he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. This is all 
prophetic. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. They will belong to the Lord, presenting a righteous offering. The offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord. As in ancient days and in former years, I will draw near to you for judgment. I'll be quick to testify against the sorcerers, the adulterers, those who, who swearingly are, are, are false, against those who cheat the day laborers out of their wages, as well as oppress the widow and the orphan, and against those who brush aside the foreigner and do not revere me. I am with them. I stand with them, says the Lord of heavenly forces. Again, a trustworthy statement, a covenant of God to man. So what is the takeaway here this morning? There are so many. And as Pastor Wally said last night, and as we've discussed this last week, there could be 14 plus sermons that could come out of this text right here. But what is, what is one of the takeaways this morning? I believe that scripture gives us that. I believe that Mark chapter 11, just a few verses ahead, in, in 22 to 25 in the message translation, pretty well sums it up. And this is what it says. Jesus was matter of fact. Embrace this God life. Really embrace it. And nothing will be too much for you. The mountain, for instance. Just say, go and, 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 and jump into a lake. No shuffling or shilly-shallying. And it's as good as done. That's why I urge you to pray for absolutely everything ranging from small to large. Include everything as you embrace this God life, and you'll get God's everything. And when you assume that, that posture of prayer, remember that it's not all asking. If you have anything against someone, forgive only then will your heavenly Father be inclined to also wipe your, say, your slate clean of your sins. Did you guys catch that? The enemy may be relentless. He may try to combat you at every step. He will try to get you to think that just because others are accepting and doing, that, that you should as well. And I would say, church, don't buy that. Don't buy into that. Jesus himself said in Matthew 24, verse 5, Many will come in my name, saying that I'm the Christ, and they will deceive many people. Where is our foundation this morning? Because the world, the culture is trying to ebb away at it. Did you hear what I just said in scripture? Quoting Jesus himself. Many will come and say that I am the Christ and many will be led astray. Where is our foundation? Because we can't just go through life. We can't go through life and just trust that, 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 that a Wednesday night Bible study or a Sunday morning service is, is, is going to help us and that'll, that'll all be that all that we need. We need to live daily rhythm. We need to be a people of prayer. We need to be a people of prayer in the house of prayer. 1 John 4, 4. You are from God, little children, and you have defeated these people because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Worship team's going to come this morning as we conclude. I know that your envelopes are ready. I know that uh, you're prepared for this next act, act of worship by your regular tithes and offerings. If you are visiting with us this morning, 
we just want you to know that you are our guest. Feel no obligation. But when that plate comes, and as you hand it to the person next to you, would you just simply pray this prayer that God would manifest it, that God would grow it as he sees fit. This is the word of the Lord this morning, church.